Thank you, uh, all those who were led us in worship today. And uh, as we continue in worship, as we turn into God's Word, uh, I want to encourage you um, to have your Bibles open to first the gospel, the first epistle of of John. So First John is where we're going to be today, and we're going to um, be considering what uh, John has in store for his people that he's communicating to as we try to apply this uh, to our lives. Uh, we've been in this study, and, and we have, uh, we're already seeming somewhat repetitive as we get into uh, different parts of this, but we have been looking, last week we looked at 1 John uh, starting in uh, verse 5 of chapter 1 through chapter 2, verse 2. In this section, we were challenged in a couple of different ways. Uh, and, but foremost, it, it started off in verse 5. It says, this is the message. It's not on the screen. It's just we're referencing it. It says, this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you. This is John speaking to people he knows and loves. I'm sure there's people that are hearing this that he does not know personally. But he says very clearly, there is a message that God is, is interested in conveying to people. And certainly to Christians. But he says, he says, this is the message which we have heard from him. Speaking of Jesus, he heard it specifically from Jesus. And declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. This, we're going we're gonna, to uh, hear this idea of light again, light and darkness uh, we're going to be challenged a little bit later in 1 John that, that God is love. And we're going to be uh, basically researching and looking into the person of God as the Father. But specifically, we're going to be looking at Jesus Christ, His Son. In that text of Scripture, in the passage that's on the screen, we, we noted that uh, John structured his, this section by recounting uh, the claims of false teachers. And we, we see that in verse 6 where it says, If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie. We see that in verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, uh, basically the truth is not in us. When we get to verse 9, it says, If we say that we have not sinned, we make God a liar and his word is not in us. John is not interested in being politically correct. He's not in- interested in being... Uh, uh, compassionate to these unbelievers. He is standing for something that is vitally important for him and for us, and certainly for the believers of that day, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we somehow deviate from the, the, uh, the, the view of Jesus as fully God and fully man, we are in danger. We covered that back in on the first message, in the intro message to uh, 1 John. We have to believe in a fully God and a fully human Jesus Christ. It is vital that we hold on to that truth. Why is that so? As we get into chapter 2, he says, My little children, these things I write to you, what he's been writing up to this point, so that you may not sin. John is laying out before his recipients, and and we really looked at this uh, uh, last week, the reality of sin. Sin is is part, we all struggle with it. We all are acquainted with sin. For a believer, we're acquainted with it from the standpoint of we've recognized it in our life and we recognize that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to pay the penalty for our sin. 
And Jesus did that, and he died, and he was buried, and he was resurrected on the third day. And after 40 days, he ascended into heaven, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. What is Jesus doing as he's seated at the right hand of the Father? Well, we see here that if anyone sins, finishing off verse 1 of chapter 2, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not only do we have someone who has paid for our sin, but that very person is now in the presence of God who is God, and he is, he's speaking on our behalf, saying, Father, forgive them because of what I did on their behalf. The Father is ready to forgive. That's what verse 9 is saying. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the good news. And the good news just keeps getting, as, as an old-time preacher I used to know said, it just gets gooder and gooder, okay? Uh, I don't know if you remember Chief saying that, but uh, Dr. E. Robert Jordan. Good news of the gospel just keeps getting gooder and gooder. Maybe we ought to put that one on a sign out front. Uh, you know, the gooder and gooder gospel. It says in verse 2, it says, And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. The propitiation, the, the satisfaction, the, the appeasement. But really, it's Jesus satisfied the holiness of God that requires punishment for sin. And that punishment is a death punishment. It's a death sentence, and Jesus Christ paid that. But we're told that it's not only our sins that are forgiven, it's the sins of the world. And that, but it only, is a, it, uh, it only comes into play when someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ. Do you believe in Jesus today? I'm going to ask you this question in a couple different ways, but do you believe in Jesus today? And I could say, I could pretend, you know, to take different parts and say, well, which Jesus? We've talked about there's false Jesuses out there that represent a false gospel. But I'm asking you this morning, do you know the Jesus of the Bible? Fully God and fully man. Because if you do, your sins have been forgiven. And you stand. Because of Jesus' righteousness, God looks upon you. And God, Jesus has, His righteousness has become ours as our sin became His. And we stand before God this morning as a believer. I can, with full confidence in the Word of God, I can stand here this morning and say, I'm righteous in the eyes of God because of what Jesus did on my behalf. But not everybody has that confidence. And so as, I, as I'm thinking about the text that we're getting ready to go into... A couple thoughts came to my mind. Why are people shaky in their confidence in their relationship with God? You know, why do people wonder uh, after they know the gospel and you know, why do they struggle with this, these things? And so I, I came up with a line of thinking. And let me share this line of thinking with you and then we'll get into the text. I consider to myself, you know, people struggle. They struggle with what it means to be a Christian and how they fail God. And I, and I started thinking, did I know, and maybe you can answer this question for yourself. Did any of us know, if you're married, did any of us know the commitment that we are called to in marriage before we got married? If maybe if you're a parent here, did, did any of us know the commitment that we are called to to be a parent before we had kids? Maybe you're not married, married, you don't have kids, so consider your first job. Did you know the commitment that was required of you, being asked of you, to, to submit to someone you don't even know 
on a regular basis in order for you to get a paycheck. And really, you don't know any of these things until you're actually married or have a child or get a job. And the fact is, we could say this for any number of endeavors in our lives, right? I mean, we just don't know until we know. Uh, There's a statement, I think I'm paraphrasing it, but the idea of, of experience is a powerful teacher. And as I'm thinking about the Christian life today, how's your experience in the Christian life? Do you know what is expected of you as a Christian? Again, I'm musing now. These are the musings that have been going on in my mind all, all week as I've been, you know, crafting this. And, and, and I started thinking, what about those people who think they're Christians but are not? What about the ones that will hear, uh, they'll hear, I never knew you out of the, out of the lips of Jesus Christ. They're going to be standing in his presence and they're going to think they're good with God because they acknowledge some Jesus of some belief, but it wasn't the Jesus Christ of the Bible. And, and they're going to hear the words, depart from me, I never knew you. What were those people thinking? They were actually thinking they were right with God when they weren't. But many Christians struggle because they think they're not right with God and they are. And so I think John's uh, addressing this. And, and as, I, as I lead into the text, let me go ahead and read the text, and then we'll, we'll uh, pick up on the whole idea of commitment. 1 John 2, starting verse 3, says, Now by this we know that we know him. Speaking of Jesus, speaking of God and Jesus, all right? I'm just going to say this up front, because I'll say it a later. I might say it later, too. This idea of him in the context of the passage is more than likely talking about God the Father. But I don't think we can lose sight of the fact that we just had John 14 read to us. And in there, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So if I say God or Jesus, I'm right, okay? Uh, John says, now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word... Truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. You know, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back up a section because my emphasis was on the wrong syllable in that one, right? All right? I actually emphasize this because this, this second part of verse 5, there's, there's uh, wrestling with, does it go with what came before or does it go with what comes after? And it's kind of a bridge text, so it's both. But really, as you understand it, let's read that, this slide again. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. Period. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Now, this is as far as we're going to get in the text today, in the, in the sermon time. We're going to pick up the rest of it. I'm going to read the rest of it, but this is as far as we're going to go uh, today with the time that we have. As we continue to read on, uh, John brings out this idea of a new commandment and an old commandment. He says, Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, 
Which thing is true in him and in you. Why? Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother, he uh, is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So we're going to deal with one through six, excuse me, three through six uh, today. And then we'll deal with seven through 11 next week. So as, as we think about these, these first uh, few verses, this is what I'm challenging you with today. And I'm challenging myself. A genuine disciple, we're going to talk about what a genu- genuine disciple is. A genuine disciple is totally committed to obeying Jesus. Let's go back to that idea of commitment for a minute. We had no idea. I mean, seriously, consider this, all you who are married. I would say especially the guys because we're clueless, right? Uh, the, the, uh, the, 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 our, our wife, our soon-to-be wife is the one that did all the arrangements for the wedding, right? She put all the effort in. Now, maybe you did, but I didn't, you know? There's a wedding this afternoon. We get to, we get to, I get to officiate at a wedding this afternoon, so pray for Kurt and Cheryl. They're getting married this afternoon. And it'll be a wonderful time. But can I say this? In all love, they're clueless. They have no idea the level of commitment they are being called to. We have gone through six sessions of pre-marriage counseling. And I told them, this only scratches the surface. It basically just kicks the door open for us to talk about some areas of, of married life that need to get talked about so you understand marriage is serious business. But they have no clue what's coming for them. They have some basic teaching, and, and they're good to go, as much as any couple is good to go. And so I'm excited for them. They, 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 it really will be a fun time, and it will be exciting to see them grow. Think about, think about um, parenting. How many of you have ever had a parenting class? All right? Yeah, you took that class. I'm good. I know how to raise a child now. And that little one is born into your life, and you're like, what's this? And, and, and you're, then you get comfortable, and then you're like, here, you take it, right? Yeah, right. I know I get an amen from that one, right? Hey, listen, folks, we don't have a clue. All you kids in the room, I'm sorry to burst your bubble. You think your parents are perfect? No. Maybe you don't think they are, but uh, don't tell them that, all right? It's a, it's a sad day when you fall off the, 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 uh, the uh, platform. We, are, we, have, we can do all the preparation we want. We're not, we're not fully understanding the level of commitment we're called to in parenting until we actually have that child and we have to meet their needs and care for them. Now, maybe, again, maybe you're not a parent, maybe you're not uh, married, and maybe it's, maybe it's the job thing. You, you cannot know what you don't know. And really, that's where, where, where John is coming from, I think, in the sense that a genuine disciple is totally committed to obeying Jesus. Ask yourself, did you know what you were getting yourself into when you became a disciple of Jesus Christ? There's all kinds of people out there that think they, that think they know what it means to be a Christian. 
well, I know what it means to be a Christian. Yeah, you go to that church thing with all those other people and you sing some songs and you hear a long-winded preacher and, and then, then, then what? You go home, right? Well, that's what some people do, right? But what, is, what about the level of commitment we're called to as a genuine disciple of Jesus Christ? So this is a question that I think John is answering and, and this, is, uh, this is maybe resonating with you in this room and maybe joining us online. How do I know that I'm a genuine disciple? You ever had questions of, am I really saved or not? I've had those, I've had those questions in my mind when I was a young believer Thankfully, in the maturing process, I no longer have that question. Oh, is it because I learned so much? No, it's God taught me so much. It was when I, once I was a Christian, once I truly came to faith in Jesus Christ, the schoolhouse started. And every day of, of, of trying to please God in some fashion, whether it be out of my flesh or out of my faith, I learned lessons. Sometimes I had to learn it the hard way. Sometimes I learned it the right way. But regardless of that, how do I know that I'm a genuine disciple? Another way to say this is, how do I know that I know Jesus? And this is the actual question that John's bringing forth as we get into verse 3. He says, now by this we know. I want to talk to you about this word, we know. It's one word in the Greek. Now by this we know, what? That we know. It's the same root of the word, right? It's, it's two forms of it. We understand grammar. You add different things onto the end, and it be, but it's the same root word. Now by this we know that we know. Him. God, Jesus Christ. All right? Let's, let's look at this. These two words, uh, know and know, right? And, and again, same, the same root. The first word in the sentence, the first no word, is basically communicating, I understand something in the present. I understand something right at this very moment. Uh, I'm understanding that I'm standing behind a pulpit preaching, and I understand, and you understand that you're sitting there listening. I understand in the now, in the present. The second word has, and sorry for the formatting error there, but it's, it has the idea of I have a relationship. This is the way that the word is, is, is what's, what the word is communicating. I have a relationship with Jesus, which was established in my past and continues in my present, of which I understand, I know, I'm in the present. So basically what, what John is saying is, how can I understand in the now that I have a relationship with Jesus which was established in the past and continues in the present? It's asking the question, how do I know that I know Jesus? How do I know that I'm saved? Well, we're going to go back here, right? So he, he has two emphasis here. I understand in the present that I have this relationship with Jesus Christ, and it continues. You know, there's a lot of good news in the gospel, and it does get gooder and gooder every time you go deeper and deeper into it. And what we see here is the idea that in the now, I don't know what your now looks like. I mean, I kind of know what it looks like right now. You're looking at me, right? But I'm talking about in your life, figuratively speaking, what's going on in your life? Are you having difficulties? Are you struggling with life issues? Or, I don't know. You know, because you, know, you understand something, and in the present, you know what's going on in your life. How is your relationship with Jesus Christ bringing you through that? 
Because it's good that you know that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ if it's true. And this is where we get into the idea of what is a genuine disciple. There's all kinds of people out there that think they know Jesus and they've never bowed the knee. They've never confessed their sins. They've never repented of their sins. And John was dealing with this in his culture. In his culture of his day, there were this group of people that, were, that loved the idea of Jesus being spirit, loved the idea of Jesus being God, but couldn't stomach the idea that he was in the flesh because from their perspective, everything of the flesh was evil. Now there's, there's two terms. I've introduced them, but let me just talk about it for a minute. There's no slide for this. There's this idea of Gnosticism, the, the idea that you can know God through knowledge. And that didn't fully form until probably 100 years later or more from this time. But the seedbed of Gnosticism was present apparently in the community of Ephesus where John is writing. They were all hung up in this knowledge thing and they thought they could know something but not know someone. Uh, They thought they did, but they didn't, all right? So there's this idea of Gnosticism, this idea that knowledge, you can know God through knowledge. That's the pathway. But there's also this uh, heresy in the early church that was identified, and it was called docetism, I think, docetism. I might get that wrong, but it's docet something, right? Docetism. And it's the idea of that's where they believe God, uh, Jesus was God, but he, he just appeared to be in the flesh. He wasn't really in the flesh because all things flesh are, are evil. There's consequences to that wrong thinking. And John is addressing them in this text. He says, listen, how do I know that I know Jesus? When I obey him. It's as simple as that. Really, it, this, we could sit down after this and have, have a, uh, an invitation, but there's another point I have to make, right, that John, John's making. How do I know that I know Jesus? When I obey him. And so uh, he says in chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 3, Now by this we know that we know him. We have the cognitive understanding that we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, with God through Jesus Christ. If we keep his commandments. It's a conditional sentence. And so what are we supposed to understand from this text? Is John saying that if we keep his commandments, then we know Jesus? Is it a works righteousness that I grew up thinking that, well, if I just do all the things I'm called to do, if I'm obedient, if I, listen, folks, I was Mr. Goody Two-Shoes, if that's still a thing, if you can use that terminology today with the younger kids, right? I, don't ask me to explain what a Goody Two-Shoes is. All I know is this. I was it. I was the epitome of I pleased my parents. I was lying to them. I was, I was doing all kinds of different things behind their backs, but I looked the parts and I was, I wanted them to love me because my brothers and sisters, although as much as I was goody two-shoes, Diane, if you're watching this, she was much gooder. She was a gooder goody two-shoes than I was. Uh, and, and we all acknowledged She's the best, right? But my two brothers before that, and I'll leave my oldest brother and sister out of it. I'm the youngest of six, right? So my two brothers, they were not the gooder ones, right? They, they will admit they had a lifestyle that was like, man, it, my parents were pulling their hair out. But in that time frame, I used to think that if I was good enough, God would be happy with me. And we know this is true. We talk about this. And you might, you might have believed that, or maybe you believe that today. 
That if I'm just good enough, God will love me. It's like, no, 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 no. That's not the way it works. This is not what this text is saying. This text is not saying, uh, this is how I come to know Jesus. It's saying that the fruit of knowing Jesus is the ability to obey his commands. We don't, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, right? It's for by grace you've been saved through faith, right? It's the idea, we, we don't, we don't, come to know God because of our good works. No, our good works, uh, Ephesians 2.10, are an outworking of the faith that we have and the salvation that we have in Christ. So the fruit of knowing Jesus is the ability to obey his commands. And so as, as we consider that, as a Christian, of which I call myself because I believe in the Christ of the Bible, the Jesus of the Bible, as a Christian, I am called to a life of obedience. Now, this may sound familiar, and it's building off of last week. A genuine disciple, the words I'm using for this week, we we covered this last week. A genuine disciple is called to a life of holiness. A genuine disciple is called to a life of confession. A genuine disciple is called to a life of repentance. And now we're understanding a genuine disciple is called to a life of obedience. So think about this for a minute. A genuine disciple. Are you one of them? (laughs) Are you a genuine disciple? That means when you are standing in God's presence, he is not going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. You'll hear the word something like, you know, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You'll, you'll hear something, enter into my peace. We as a genuine disciple are called to a life of holiness because God is holy. We know that. Be ye holy as I am holy, God says. And we are called to, to live a holy life separate from the things of sin, certainly separate from sin in the world. It doesn't mean we're, we never sin at this point, right? We talked about that last week and I don't have time because, well, actually, I'll just, that'll segue into the next one. We're called a life of confession. The fact is we still sin, but we have an advocate with the Father so we can confess our sins and he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And this idea of we are called to a life of repentance. When we recognize sin in our life, we're supposed to turn from it. That's what a genuine disciple does. How many Christians, air quotes, right? How many Christians, non-genuine Christians do you know that claim to have a relationship with God, but they continue to do some despicable things? I mean, they're out there, folks. I know some of them, right? I mean, really, if I can say this down south, there literally is a church on every corner, And the hard part about being uh, evangelistic in that uh, society is the fact that everyone thinks they're a Christian because they go to church. And when when you when when they hear the sobering words that someday people will that God will say, "Depart from me, I never knew you," that wakes them up. Hopefully, as it should wake us up. Are we genuine Christians? I invite you: stop trusting in your own good works. Stop trusting in what other people are telling you. Come to faith in Jesus Christ of the Bible. Read God's Word. He gave it to us to to allow us to come to faith and to mature in our faith. So that's what a genuine disciple is, someone who recognizes Jesus as fully God, fully man, who died on the cross to pay for our sins, not his. He had no sin. He was buried. He rose again three days later. He ascended to heaven, and he's coming again Praise the Lord. 
So as we think about this, we, we go on to, in verse 4, uh, uh, John continues, he says, He who says, this is three times in the last section we looked at, uh, there were similar words. Uh, he who proclaims or he who claims. This one, there's three times in verse 4, verse 6, uh, and verse 9. The, the, the words are, he who says. He who says something. He who says what? He who says, I know him. We talked about, how do I know that I know? Well, someone is saying, I know him. I, he, they are claiming that they know they have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But notice, and does not keep his commandments. Oop, there's a problem here. I, you can't say, I know him, if you're not going to keep his commandments. It says that he is a liar and the truth is not in him. This goes back to uh, chapter 1, verse 6, where, where the lying and, and the truth not being present is, is, being, is, is identified in that text. So here what we see is, I cannot claim a relationship with Jesus when I live in disobedience. This is that continual living, folks. Now, I'm looking around the room, and I, and I know, I, praise God, I know most of you, all right? Um, it's, COVID's really messed with my mind, all right? Because I get to know you, and then COVID hits, and then we distance for a while. But I'm looking around the room, and I've actually had opportunity to speak with the majority of people in this room. And if I haven't spoken with you, I'd love to get to know you. But listen, folks, based upon what I know about you, none of you are making this claim, you're not saying that you're claiming a relationship with Jesus and yet you're living in total disobedience to him. That is not true of you. Unless it is. Because I don't know your heart. Only God knows your heart. And I will say this. John was dealing with people who had infiltrated the church and they were wooing people away saying, no, you can have a relationship with God and still live the way you want to live, live the way that you've always lived. And we're told in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone be in Christ, they are a new creature. Something changes when you come to faith in Jesus Christ. If you ever experience that change, pray about your, your salvation, right? Ask God, am I, do I know Jesus? Do I know that I know Jesus? Because a a false disciple claims that they have a relationship with Jesus, but then they live in disobedience. John goes on to say, but whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. He's saying, that, contrasting with what came before, whoever keeps his word. That's the idea of, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's the idea of keeping his word, obey my commandments. It's the same idea, right? Whoever keeps my word, if this is true of you, this is the continual keeping of God's word. Not the perfect keeping of God's word, right? Because we've already established there's still sin in the lives of believers, right? All that will be done away with when Jesus returns. It says here, but whoever keeps continually keeps God's word and obeys his commands, it says truly the love of God is, notice this word, perfected in him or her. Uh, this, this word perfected is that same idea of earlier, the second word no. It's the idea of something that is true, that took place in the past, and it has, it has uh, continuing impact on today, in the now. It's saying, listen, those who continually keep God's word, truly the love of God is matured in that person. Do you desire to love like Jesus loved? Well, there's a maturing process that must take place, and it's, and it's tied directly to 
keeping God's word. Whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. It's made complete. It's, it's more the idea of it's matured in him. You know the love of God more. You know the love of God better because you are seeking to obey his commands, walk in his word, keep his word. So the first part of verse 5 says, my life of committed obedience, right? My life of committed obedience results in a mature love for God and others. Now I'm, I'm throwing the others in there because we know this is a loving like Jesus involves loving others. And, and so that's in the text. It'll get fleshed out a little bit more next week and as we get into later portions of the letter as well. But my life of committed obedience as a genuine Christian results in a mature love for God and others. Do you see this happening in your life? Genuine believers, do you see this happening in your life? Because it's true. As you seek to be uh, uh, committed to obeying God and his commands, then this is what's going to result from it. As we get into the, uh, the next uh, section, as we, we talk about how do I know that I know Jesus, uh, there's another idea that, that, Paul, that John brings out, and it's when I abide in him. So how do I know I know Jesus? Well, I'm able to keep his commands. God is working through me through the presence of the Holy Spirit, which we'll talk about next week, and, and I'm, I'm obeying. But we're also abiding. How do I know that I know Jesus? I abide in him. He says in in the second part of B, by this we know that we are in him. It kind of sounds like the beginning. How do I know what I know? By this we know that we are in him. We are in God. We are in Christ. He who says, there's the second one. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk as Jesus walked. All right. Now, I, I'm very with confidence I can say that's referring to Jesus there because Jesus is the one who walked. He had a physical body. He has a physical body. Genuine Christians, genuine disciples, ought, you know, they ought to abide in him. That, that's what this idea is. It's to, the idea of staying put in his presence, of, of walking through life with him, in him, through all of life, trusting in what he has done, not trusting in what we can bring to God, but what God is doing in and through us. Let's abide. It's the whole idea of I am the vine, you are the branches. You cannot know the Father unless you abide in me. Stay connected to Jesus, folks. It's the only way that you will mature in this love that God is calling us to. It's the only way that you will hear, well done, and thou good and faithful servant. And this is true of all believers. He who says he abides in him genuinely, right? We ought to himself, herself, walk just as he walked. We ought to live like he lives. My life of committed obedience will look like the life of Jesus Christ. What do you mean? I'm going to go out healing people? Well, no, you can pray for healing, right? I'm going to go around in sandals and, you know, and a, and a, you know, a man dress? No, that's, that's not what it means. It's like my life of committed obedience will look like the life of Jesus. Well, what would the life of Jesus look like? He loved others. He obeyed the Father. The reality is Jesus was called to a life of obedience. He was. He's, he's listen, I'm going to obey my Father. That is my goal during my life on this earth is to obey my Father. And he did that completely, fully. 
And so we, as genuine disciples, as a Christian, we are called to a life of obedience. But we struggle, don't we? We struggle with this. And, and sometimes we, we fail, and sometimes we habitually fail. There may be sin in your life where it's just, it's just it's habit. I've had one of those sins. I praise God that in the maturing process, if I, has I, have I overcome that sin? No, God overcame that sin. As he matured me in the faith, am I still susceptible? You better believe it, because then if I start trusting in my ability, right? For those of you who join us in the streaming every day, uh, it's Nebuchadnezzar standing out there, look at this great Babylon that I built. And what happened? He got humbled, right? You want to tempt God? Claim that you're doing everything right in your own power. And God will say, no, no, you're called to a life of obedience. You're called to trust me. And so let's trust. Let's trust God with our walk in Christ. So this idea, a genuine disciple is totally committed to obeying Jesus. Is this, it's just really, it's anchored in that first text of verse 3, and it's being fleshed out in six through, uh, 4 through 11. And we've only call, touched on two parts of this. But listen, folks, my desire and your desire, I'm sure, is for this church to make a mature genuine disciples of Jesus Christ. The real deal. And, and we may not know when we first come to faith in Jesus Christ what that commitment level looks like. But experience is a wonderful teacher. And as we experience our walk with God, he never gives us more than we can handle. And he allows the circumstances of life to come into our lives and mold us and mature us so that we will look more like Jesus Christ when we're done. So let's seek to be those genuine disciples as we continue, certainly through this book, and continually being challenged to love like Jesus. But I ask you to consider this morning, are you committed to obeying Jesus? Does it matter when you fall into sin? Are you experiencing the conviction of the Holy Spirit? If you're a genuine disciple, you should, and you will, But if you're so deep into sin, confess it, repent, and God will meet you there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you, Father, that we are able to look into it with our own insights, the insights of others that are maybe much smarter than we are. Um, But, Father, the message is simple. God is light, and in him there is no darkness. As genuine disciples of Jesus Christ, which we desire to be, we recognize we are supposed to walk in that light and not in darkness. And we're being encouraged this morning, Father, that we are called to a commitment that we do not fully understand, but you do. And you are willing to meet us where we are this morning. If we're in sin, as in all of it, Lord, you will meet us with the gospel of Jesus Christ and save us if we will just confess and repent from those sins and believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who takes away the sins of the world because of what he did on the cross of Calvary. Father, we thank you that our sins have been atoned for. We thank you that Jesus is our propitiation. And we pray that unbelievers would become believers in Jesus this morning.
Father, we pray for believers that they would have assurance that they know Jesus. We can know that we know Jesus when we see your power working in us to obey your commands, specifically to love others and to love you. Our love for you will drive us to a life of obedience. Our love for you will will drive us to love others if we will recognize the commitment that stands before us. Lord, please do a work in the heart and minds of your people, the genuine disciples, and call them out of their pettiness. Call them out of their habitual sins. Call them out in whatever area they need to be called out in so that they might experience that peace that transcends understanding, that grace that is new every morning, that mercy that meets us every morning. Father, may you be glorified as your people respond to your word. Lord, may we love you by obeying you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.